Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome back to Fearless. Once again, my family and I, we're still in Alaska working with Samaritan's Purse, and we are in our summer series where I am sharing some of my favorite episodes for those who are new to Fearless. One of my most popular episodes, and I hope to get her back, was an episode that I did with my mom, Jane Austen Graham. And um, it's like a double name. My dad calls her to this day, Jane Austen, kind of like you would do Mary Beth. But I am so grateful I got her to agree last summer when we were actually here in Alaska to sit down with me and do a podcast. So I'm trying to get her back this fall to do a little series. Let's see how it goes. But in case you missed this special episode with my mom, Jane Graham, here it is. I've asked my mom to be on the podcast many times and she denies me. But I have finally talked her into it. So today I feel very honored. I got my mom. Mom, welcome to Fearless. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> That's sarcasm. She won't even look at me in the eyes right now. We're sitting uh, in her home in Alaska. My parents, like I said on the podcast with my dad, brought us to Alaska when I was eight years old. And I've spent almost every summer up here in this tiny little cabin of theirs. And I love it. And um, I finally talked her into it. But I get questions asked about my mom all the time. And so I'm thankful you're here, Mom. Thank you. I know that I've had a pretty special mom that my dad always gives her the credit of raising my brothers and I while he was traveling with Samaritan's Purse growing up. And I was thankful for a mom that was hands-on, always a part of our lives. So I'm glad she's here today. But I often get asked the question, is Sissy my real name? And many people don't know that Sissy is not my real name. That is not the name on my birth certificate. I'm actually named after my mom, Jane Austen. And that was my grandmother's name and my mom's name. My mom's from the South, so it's like a double name for her. So that is my real name, Jane Austen Graham, now Lynch. And she was named after her mom. But mom, I love hearing stories about you growing up. Um, I always feel like you lived in a storybook kind of life in the 50s and 60s. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up. I did kind of grow up in that. I think probably America's best of times. It wasn't quite as nerdy as Leave It to Beaver, but it was pretty close. I, we had wonderful neighbors. I had the cousins next door. My daddy's business partners lived next door. Never remember an unkind word between the neighbors. I, I had uh, my grandparents lived close by and spent many nights a week at each of them's homes. So I was very blessed. I had a great childhood. I know. I love you always. Anytime growing up, we were riding in the car. Mom would always tell her stories of her growing up. And my grandfather owned a tobacco company in eastern North Carolina. And um, he was World War II. He was wounded in World War II, came back and lived kind of the American dream and had his own company and sold it at a young age. And so that's how mom grew up. But um, I think often when I have a famous set of grandparents, people forget that I have another set of grandparents. And my mom's parents called them Pop and Mama Jane. And they're very dear in our lives. I'm very thankful for them. But mom, I actually don't even know if I know the story. Tell us how you and dad met. You grew up in eastern North Carolina in Smithville, but you spent your summers in Montreat, North Carolina, where dad grew up. How did y'all meet? 
our neighbors across the street used to spend summers in Montreat. And so one time they asked us, I think I was five or six years old. And so we went up to visit them. And after that, we started going every summer. And finally, my parents built a home there. And we spent our summers there. And uh, I worked there in high school and a little hotel-like setting as a maid and waitress. And then I um, was a counselor in the in the day camp program there. And uh, I grew up knowing Franklin. I really didn't know him well at all, but we had many mutual friends. And um, so I knew him from there. You asked me once about when I first met him. I don't remember the first time I met him, but I remember the first time when we started seeing each other, I was riding my horse and he came flying around a curve in a Jeep <laughs> with long, shaggy hair. He'd just gotten in from Alaska from working, and I was riding my horse. He scared it to death. Anyway, I asked him to give me a ride down the mountain because my mom had taken my car away for the summer because I had made a D in Spanish. <laughs> and did he give you a ride? He gave me a ride, and the next morning I got word I was living in this rat trap of a place, but we thought it was great and where all the workers stayed. And somebody came upstairs and said, Jane, there are two guys downstairs wanting to take you to church. And I remember going, I don't want anybody taking me to church. I'll go to church by myself. But anyway, I went down and it was uh, Robert and Franklin. And so I went to church with them and the rest is history. <laughs> we just started hanging out. And that's kind of what you did up there at Montreat. And so we just enjoyed each other's company and we went from there. Now, I know you grew up in church, but you often talk about you never heard about having a relationship with Jesus, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But did you have any idea of who the Grams were? I did. We all knew who the Grams were. We, In fact, as a, a little community, we were very protective of the Grams. In fact, people would come over from Ridgecrest, which is, used to be the Baptist retreat center nearby, and they'd want to know where the Grams live, and other tourists would too. And we'd send them down this long road and tell them to go here, there. And I'd say, the road gets bumpy, just keep on going. And it was a terrible road, and they'd get down there, and there was nowhere to turn around. And so we were all protective of them. I don't think I, I never realized the magnitude of his popularity or how well-known he was around the world. That That I didn't get for a long time. Well, not too long, but I realized later that he was— much more famous than I had realized. How did Dad introduce you to them the first time? When did you go up there the first time to their house? Um, that Sunday afternoon. That oh, right we, after church? <laughs> we Well, we went to Mount Mitchell, and we uh, came back, and I had a Jeep, too, and they had a new Jeep because um, they had to have one to get up and down the mountain when the weather was bad. And Franklin didn't know how to put the top on, so I was showing him how to put the top on, and his mama came out, and I met her for the first time. And she said later, she said, what well, was the first time he'd ever seen a girl showing Franklin how to do something <laughs> with a mechanical thing? That's when I met her the first time. And she was beautiful. She was always beautiful. Now, um, Teta, for what I call my grandmother, Ruth Graham, mm -hmm. you two had a very special relationship. And as I said earlier, you grew up in church. Mm -hmm. You went to church every Sunday. But you said you never heard about a relationship with Jesus Christ until Teta explained it, and she led you to the Lord. What was that like? Well, I did. I had, I went to church. I had all the little Sunday school pins showing I hadn't missed a Sunday. I don't know how many I had, 11 or 12 years. I don't remember. I have a whole row of them somewhere. And um, I don't even think I put the last couple ones hooked up. But anyway, if anybody went to church back in those days, you know what I'm talking about. And I had sweet Sunday school teachers. I had wonderful people around me. 
I just don't think I, it was the time for me to come to know Christ. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I didn't hear it. I wasn't ready to hear it, or they told me and I didn't hear it. But whatever the case was, no one had ever told me that Jesus could come live in my heart and that I would could be saved and that I needed to ask Him in and have that personal relationship. That was never explained to me. Now, they may have explained it to me, and it went right over my head, and I missed it. So I'm not passing that off on anybody. But it's made me more purposeful now in telling other people on a direct way to come to know Christ, because uh, I realized I maybe could have saved myself a lot of heartache if I'd come to Christ earlier. What was it about Tete? I mean, I think sometimes when you think of Billy and Ruth Graham and their son wasn't walking with the Lord at the time, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of even just Christian parents, it doesn't have to be famous that your kids don't bring home who you expect them to bring home and you... No, I think she probably was mortified when he brought me home. Um, But she was gracious. She was loving. She was sweet. She was kind. She was generous. She was funny. She was beautiful. She was witty. I got to know that she was not perfect, that the Lord let me let her live long enough and us to live close enough to each other and be so close that I got to realize later in life she was not perfect because it would have been a hard act to follow up. But she was truly a woman that loved Jesus with all her heart. And when she talked about him, she talked about him like he was right sitting next to her and that he was right there. And one day I realized, well, if I had been born a Buddhist, I'd be Buddhist. If I'd been born a Muslim, I'd be Muslim. If I'd been born a Hebrew, I'd have been a Hebrew. What made it different? And as I slowly got to know her, I wasn't too slow, but as I really got to know her, I realized that it was Jesus Christ that separated her. She was fearless. She had a joy about her, and she loved life. She loved everybody. Now, she was very stubborn, (laughs) and she had her ideas about things, and you did not change her mind. But she was very loving and very forgiving of me many times. And I teased her one day about, I know that when Franklin brought me home, it must have terrified her. And she said, no, you just needed Jesus and winked. And I said, now, Teddy, you also told me that liars burn in a lake of fire. And I was teasing her back because I know as a mom, if my children had brought me home at that same time, it would have made me nervous. What was it in that moment? What was it that she did that explained it to you? I just saw Jesus in her. So it was over time. It was over time. It it was just that she she lived it. I I saw her live it with everybody. It wasn't just me. She loved the unlovely, and she loved the downtrodden. And she also, and people don't know this about um, my in-laws, how many times people were hurting and broke that they paid out of their own pocket to fix things for them or to make life easier for them. And I saw her do that over and over. And she would write me sweet notes, and she'd send me sweet little gifts, and she'd bring me a little piece of jewelry from overseas and stuff like that. She did big things, and she did little things. But she had a quick wit. One day, I remember I was complaining, moaning about something. I was hurting or something. I forgot what I did. And uh, let me see how she put it. Her wit was smart, and she's smart. She's very smart, and she was very quick-witted. And she always had this little twinkle in her eye when she'd do it, and she'd say, why suffer in silence when you make everybody around you miserable at the same time? And I think that's how she said it, and I just died laughing. But she'd say things like that all the time, and she did. She just had this—she loved to study the Word, God's Word, and she knew it. And and I remember— Did she teach you how to study God's Word? I wish I had been— 
I wish, first of all, she's brilliant. And I make her sound like she's perfect. She was not perfect, but she was pretty close to it as a mother-in-law. I could have had a finer mother-in-law. And I had a wonderful father-in-law, too. But she she, she became my best friend. Not I, too many girls can say no, that about their no. mother-in-law. No, I don't think mine say that about me, <laughs> my daughter-in-laws. But I, I really um, was very blessed. And she was very generous to everybody. And I remember... There's a friend, you know, that um, she had lost her father when she was young, and, and her mother had struggled. And Ruth had this beautiful little yellow china that had a Dutch pattern on it, and she'd always liked And when she got married, she packed it up and gave it to her. Mm. And that was Ruth. You know, she would just—I call her Teddy. Ruth, Sissy, my grandchildren—my children call her Tete. I call her Teddy. But Teddy would give you almost anything she had, and that's how she was. She was very giving, and she was very forgiving. Hmm. But she also could, um, I remember one day, Franklin let a cat loose in church. And, what do you mean, let a cat loose? Well, we came in church, and we were running a little late, and um, he let it, it go was a purpose? little yellow cat outside, and he picked it up, and we sat on the back row, and he let it loose under the, <laughs> under the pew. And if looks could have killed, Franklin would have been laid out on the, on the pew because she was not happy <laughs> she with She knew it Franklin. was him? Oh, Yeah. But she adored him. I mean, she adored all her children, and she enjoyed all her children. And she saw the best in all of her children. Mm. And she she knew their weaknesses, but she chose to see the best. And I always love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I know the world had their ideas of what Billy and Ruth Graham's children should should be like, and she never seemed to have those expectations mm-hmm. with them. No. She she loved each one, and, and she— um, I think, seemed to bring out the best of each one. Mm. The home was a happy home. There was a lot of laughter mm-hmm. in the home, and so it was good. Well, after you and Dad got married, you worked for Daddy Bill for a little bit. Well, we went to Bible school in Colorado, and then we went to Lubbock, Texas, and then we went to Seattle, and then we moved back to Boone for Franklin to go to college and finish school, Why his daddy was still willing to pay. <laughs> So Dad graduated from App State, and at that point, y'all had how many kids? Three? Did you have all three of them? Will had been born. I was pregnant with Roy when we moved back, And I th- the second one. And then um, how long were y'all married when, when Samaritan's Purse was kind of put before y'all? Probably about six or seven years, maybe eight years. It's something in there. Um, the idea first was uh, World Medical Missions, that Dick and Lowell had the idea of World Medical Missions. And Franklin helped them start that as a school project because he had to have something for school. And they let that count for him to do that and set that up. So that's what he did. And then in the meantime, Bob Pierce was dying of leukemia. And he had started, he had also started World Vision, but he had started um, Samaritan's Purse. And it wasn't very large then. I think they had about 7,000 on the mailing list. I may be wrong on that, but it wasn't very many. But it was also in Hollywood, California. And Bob came and met with us. Franklin and Dick Furman had gone on a trip with him overseas to New Guinea and some other countries and to see what Samaritan's Purse was about. And then um, he came to Boone, and he looked at me. Franklin walked away from the table for something. We were out eating, and he said, I think you're the problem, talking about me, because Franklin wouldn't commit to Samaritan's Purse. And I said, Uncle Bob, we called, they called him Uncle I said, I'm not the problem, I don't think. I said, but God has not called me to Hollywood, California to raise my children. And he said, honey, I'll be dead. I don't care where it is. Y'all can move it anywhere you want. 
And I said, well, then tell Franklin that. And so he did tell Franklin that. So after Bob died of leukemia, the board voted for Franklin to take over. So then they kind of merged World Medical Missions and Samaritan's Purse because Lowell and Dick had added on to their building and given Franklin an office for, for a while. For those who are listening, Lowell and Dick, Firm and their two brothers, they were doctors in Boone, North Carolina, who allowed Dad to have some office space after Mom just shared the story about how they got involved. But they also gave Dad his first office space. Mm-hmm. And then God just opened doors, and I look at what God's done, and I'm shocked. Not that I'm shocked at what God can do. It's just that I'm shocked that it happened to us in Boone, North Carolina. And I see how fast it happened. Mm. And it's just truly been a blessing and grateful for what the Lord's done. And if I'd had my way, and I I didn't insist on my way at all. That's not what I'm saying. But in my mind, if I had insisted on having my way, I think we would have missed God's best. All you want in life is for you to have your children to have God's best. And that doesn't mean big houses, and that doesn't mean little houses. That doesn't mean living in the city or living. It just means what God has chosen for you. That's the best. And I really, that's what I wanted in my life was what God wanted. And so I told Frank, I said, well, let's try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll go back and work for your dad. So we tried it, and God honored it. And You look back, was dad nervous or scared to start something? Different, you know, with the idea of failing as we Billy Graham's a, son. It was very tough to be Billy Graham's son. It wasn't easy. People, I remember I taught school with some people that had taught Franklin <laughs> when I taught school in Black Mountain. And they either loved Franklin because his daddy was Billy Graham or they didn't care for him very much. Mm-hmm. You know, which is not fair, but that's life. But did, And life's not fair. Was he yes, nervous to start with Samaritan's Purse? No, but failure? I remember the first day that he got a secretary, he called me up and said, what do I do with her? I said, I have no idea what you do with a secretary. <laughs> I've never had one. And it, it just did it. And he, he had a lot to learn. We both did. We had a lot to learn. We had a lot to learn about each other. And marriage is tough. And we struggled. And, and marriage is very tough. But struggling's not bad. It's a good thing. What do you mean by that? Well, learning to live together, learning to... Be more kind and more thoughtful of the other person. Just, you, you know, when you first get married, you think, oh, I'll feel like this for the rest of my life, la da 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 da. Well, that doesn't last long. And life is hard, and it, it's harder for some people than others. I mean, some people's situations, mine's much easier than other people's. I mean, I look at what's happening in Afghanistan right now, I can't even comprehend that. Mm-hmm. It is so hard for me to fathom what those people are going through right now. And so I can't imagine, I didn't have that kind of childhood. I had safety, security. I knew if things got really tough, I could always call Daddy. Now, did I ever call Daddy? Never. But I knew I could. But I do have a Heavenly Father that we can all call on. And He taught me that over the years. And I remember when we first moved to Boone, I was so lonely. And I just, I said, Lord, just give me one friend. I was home with babies all the time, four and under. And I can remember saying, Lord, just give me one friend. And just as clear one day as I I heard a voice that said to me, Jane, I'm teaching you that I'm your best friend. Learn to trust me. Learn that I'm your best friend. You don't need people. And I learned that in that loneliness. And if I hadn't had that dark period in that lonely period, I would have never learned that. So I'm grateful for that time. Do I want to do it again? Nope. But I would. And I remember even in the ministry, we went through kind of a dark period with some things that went on. 
And I kept saying, Lord, let me be better, not bitter. And let this make us grow closer in a, as husband and wife. And it did all that. Now, Franklin and I are not the huggy-buggy, kissy-kissy type, but we've learned to have a good marriage. We still get mad at each other, and we fuss at each other and snip-snap at each other every now and then, but I'm not going anywhere, neither is he, because we really do love each other. We don't like each other all the time, but we do love each other. I think people have this idea of maybe this ideal image of what it was like to be married to a Graham mm-hmm. or what it was like, like, just life in ministry. Even today, you see so many young people start ministry or go into ministry, and they have this idea of not realizing mm-hmm. how hard life in ministry and how Satan can mm-hmm. attack families. Yeah, what does. Did you ever think you'd have a life in No, it never ministry. entered my mind. In fact, when he started talking about he was going to start preaching, I said, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. You told me you were never going to do that. Now, we need to rethink this one. Because I did know enough by then. I knew that Satan was alive and well and that. But you know what? Who am I to argue with God? What are some—I mean, we have some crazy stories of when Dad was preaching and things happening with the family. What are some stories that—I think every time y'all left town, something bad, or every time yeah, Dad went, went on a trip. Yeah, I was gone, and, and you and a friend totaled the truck. My truck. Mm-hmm. And you also tell yeah. the story sometimes of how many times you went to the hospital one time when dad was oh, gone. Oh, yeah. I, the only time he was ever at home when one of y'all was sick or in the hospital was um, when Edward got thrown through the plate glass window at the high school. Well, then when the boys were little, what? T- how many times did y'all go to the hospital in one oh, week? Oh, good night. One night um Montreat, we were there. We went to the Mertz room twice in one week. Then we went to the beach, and we came back, and I went back to the Mertz room for something. I cannot remember. And they said, well, how was the beach? The Mertz room asked me how the beach was. Then we left Montreat, and I came back to Boone, and I stopped to get Dr. Dick Furman to help me take the stitches out of one of them. What, um, you also tell a funny story of a girl that thought being married to Dad was— Oh, tell that story. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> Years ago, we were at a Billy Graham team retreat, and this very sweet lady came up to me, and Franklin and I just had an argument in the room, right outside the room. This lady came up to me, and she was trying to be nice, and she grabbed my arm, and she said, Honey, do you know how lucky you are? Of all the (laughs) girls in the world, you got to marry Billy Graham's son. Well, that just jumped all over me, and I thought, I looked at her, and I said, Lady, you wouldn't have lasted three months. (laughs) And I turned around and walked off, and I thought, that poor lady went over to her husband and said, that poor Franklin, he's married to the meanest woman in town. But, you know, that's what I'm saying. Marriage is not easy. And and uh, I know a lot of young girls that ask me, tell me now, they don't want their husband to travel. And I go, you'll learn to love it. You don't have to make up the bed. You don't have to cook supper. You can eat cereal for supper. You can do peanut butter and jelly. You can get McDonald's. You can do whatever you want while they're gone. Just learn to enjoy it. It's a choice. One of the things I've learned is that it's how you look at things that make a difference. And sure, all of us look at things the wrong way sometimes, but it's, it's a choice. Do you choose to be joyful or do you choose to be mad and negative all the time or to complain? And if I had waited for Franklin to come home and fix something, or has waited for him to take you kids somewhere, it would have never happened. And that's not being critical. Franklin, he was busy doing other stuff, and important stuff. Not that our children aren't important, but it freed me up to do things. I started substituting at the high school, and I loved it. I made new friends. I started Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Boone at Watauga High School, and I loved it. And, and so it freed me up. 
and where if he'd been home all the time, I wouldn't have been able to do all that. So part of that's how you look at it and you choose to look at it. You can sit here and bellyache or you can sit here and find the fun things. And that's what my mother-in-law did. My mother-in-law probably did. And my mother did the same thing. My dad was gone a lot. My dad was gone almost as much as Franklin's dad was. But I will say, I had such a good daddy, and I had a father, and they're not the same thing. You can have a wonderful father that teaches you the spiritual heritage and teaches you godly heritage or teaches you the moral character and stuff like that, but he's not a good daddy. You can have a good daddy that does all the fun stuff, but he doesn't teach you Mm -hmm. spiritual character or moral character or those things. And I think we need both. But for those of that don't, God promises to be that to us. And so, and sometimes a man can't be all things to everybody. And so I think that um, it's important that we choose to be joyful and choose to look for the bright things. But I did. I had a wonderful daddy that taught me. Um, I, I remember one day I called him collect on the phone from college. And I said, now, Daddy, when I get back to college, I'm going to call you collect. Back then we had pay phones and call collect. I said, now, Daddy, I'm going to call you collect. That way you'll know I'm back and you don't have to pay for the phone call. Well, I could tell he was reading the newspaper. He was kind of listening, but he wasn't. So I get back. I go to the pay phone in the hall at school and I call collect and ask for myself. And he said, well, she's not here. And of course, then he could hear me say, okay, I'll call back later. Big lie on my part. (laughs) And so... A few minutes later, I'm in my room, and one of my friends comes down and says, Jane, your dad's on the phone. I said, well, that's interesting. He must not have got what I said, and he doesn't know I'm back yet, and he's calling to make sure I'm back. And he said, hey, honey, I love you. I'm so glad when you come home. I always love having you come home. We want you to come anytime you can, but I need to talk to you about something. What you did just a while ago was dishonest, and I didn't raise you to be dishonest. Call me, collect, I'll pay for it. If I owned the phone company, you just cheated me out of what was rightfully mine. And that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. You grew up telling us that story. Yeah. And that, and now, was my daddy perfect? No. But he always, he was fair. And he was lovely. And he was, he was a true Southern gentleman. And as time grew on, I remember one day, Sissy, when you accepted Christ, you said, Mom, you called Teddy, you were with Teddy, and then you called Mama and Daddy to tell them what you had done. You said to my daddy, said, Pop, how old were you when you got saved? And I wasn't sure he was saved. So I, I didn't listen to the conversation because I felt like that was between the two of you. And so later, when Daddy was in the hospital and almost died, in fact, he's a miracle that he lived, I promised God that if, if I had the chance, I would talk to my daddy about Christ. Because he was a good man, he was an honest man, he was a fair man, he was a generous man. He was so many of all the things that a godly man would be, but I wasn't ever sure. I thought he was like me, that he had been raised in the church and never made that commitment. Gave lots of money to the church, but I just wasn't sure. And so, sure enough, when I was lying in there praying for Daddy, and the nurse told me later, she said, when I saw you praying for your dad, I thought, there's not a hope on this side of heaven that he's going to live. He's a dead man. And she said later, um, when he lived, she remembered seeing me pray for Daddy. And Franklin was having a crusade in Raleigh. So those two ICU nurses came and sat with me at the crusade. And I had the privilege of being with them that night. So anyway, I went down and you went with me. And we, I said, Daddy, I need to talk to you. 
And I said, he's the one I need to tell you. Sissy's calling me on the phone every few <laughs> minutes. And I said, Daddy, I don't care. She can call you a hundred times a day. I'm just glad you're still here to be able to talk. And um, I said, but I promised God something. And I said, I wouldn't hurt your feelings for a million dollars, all the money in the world. But I said, I made God a promise, and I got to talk to you about Jesus. And so I talked to him about Jesus. And he listened. He said, I'm all right. I said, okay. Cause, and I told him how he could accept Jesus and ask Jesus into his heart and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins. Please come live in my heart and forgive me for my sins. And and they help me to trust in you and, and to abide in you. And I said, Dad, that's all you have to do. And I, he said, I'm okay. Mm. So he was telling me he was saved. So I was good after that. I knew then where he was going when he died. But he didn't die then. He lived. We were fortunate enough to have him for many more years. So he lived to be 90. Yep. I miss him. Mm-hmm. I miss all my grandparents. Of course you do. I miss all, your, your, we're just I miss all about, your grandparents, too. I'm just talking so, about I miss their homes. Mm-hmm. I miss... Mm-hmm. But the memories are sweet. Nobody can take the memories. And as I look at, um, I have the same memories with my own grandparents. I mean, we we spent the night with them two or three times a week and had those fun times and making milkshakes and skiing at the lake and doing different things. You know, and they're sweet memories. And um, nobody can ever take those. We're very blessed as a family. Well, Mom... I know dad was gone all the time, mm-hmm. and you had four kids. How do you think when you look back, the things you did right or the things you did wrong raising us all on your own? Because most moms now, I think we want this or we want that. We need help. We don't have enough help. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I did a lot wrong. I was too hard. I remember I was too hard on Will in the beginning. My mother was a tough mom. She was pretty strict, and there was not a lot of grace a lot of times. As she grew older, she became more graceful and grace-giving and much more merciful, and she became an outstanding grandmother. I saw myself, though, making some of the mistakes I think my mom made. My mom did so much right. I'm so thankful for what all my mom taught me and the good stuff, but there were— Mama was a tough disciplinarian and sometimes too tough, and sometimes I, I, I was too. And I remember one day, Will was not telling me the truth. And I said, Franklin's mother always said, punish for the moral issues mm-hmm. and the character issues, not for just breaking something, you know. And so I tried to remember that. One day I came in and Will just would not tell me the truth. And it was just a little thing. And she said, Jane, sometimes a lying child is too strict a mother. And it was like somebody slapped me in the face. She wasn't trying to be ugly to me. She was giving me sound advice. And I looked at her and I said, thank you. Mm. Now, I would have a switch up on the fireplace, and she'd tear it up throw it in the fireplace and burn it. <laughs> so anytime I had a switch, my mother-in-law would burn the switch. But she was right. I was being too hard on him. And so I sat him down one day and I said, Will, you tell me the truth, and I won't spank. If you lie to me, then the discipline's going to be a little tougher, but we're going to re- we're going to start over. So I really kind of had to start over with Will, and I I expected too much out of a two year old. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I was doing. And so I look back, and I'm not trying to be critical of my mom because I love my mom, but I think she always expected me to be dishonest, and I was so afraid that I would hurt her or she'd be angry with me that I would lie as a child, as a little child. 
And so I didn't want that to happen with you and your brothers. So I tried hard to do it differently. I did discipline. I was pretty tough on the discipline. And when I said no, I meant no. Yeah, we know. No. <laughs> but And I did it. I would I would carry it out in public if I had to, because my thing was, you disobey me in public, you're going to get it in public. You know, so I didn't do it in public unless I had to. And thank goodness I never really had to do that very often. And so y'all were pretty good children. Now, the boys fought a lot. You were, you were probably... The e- you were easy. So there's a lot I wish I'd done different. I wish I had been more um, creative with them, y'all in the kitchen and let y'all do more and do. I wasn't good at that. I, I'd get so tired sometimes I just didn't feel like I could do anymore. Mm-hmm. So I understand these working moms that can't do it all. I understand. But if I can tell parents one thing, as I look, Around today, I see moms that are tired and they're weary, and they think they're just not going to make it. I see them at the grocery store. I see them at Walmart. I see them at different places. All of us moms feel that way. And I remember my cute mother-in-law used to say, being a mom's just a perpetual tired for the rest of your life. (laughs) And a little bit of that's true, probably. But part of that, again, is attitude, you know, and kind of bucking up and saying, I can do this, and and, and spending that time with the Lord and, and the Word, but also having good friends that you can just kind of blow steam off to <laughs> that will give you wise counsel and not tell you what you need to hear. But the one thing I'll tell young mothers and fathers, you need to discipline your children. They need to be held accountable for what's right and wrong. They need to be taught. They need boundaries. That gives them security. Because if they can't obey you as a parent, then how in the world are you going to expect them to obey God when they're older? Mm-hmm. And if you don't teach them that, who's going to teach them that? Love them enough to be consistent. Sit down and figure out what's important to you. Is long hair an issue? Is wearing a mohawk an issue? Is painting your hair an issue? Is tattoos an issue? Are earrings an issue? But make sure they're issues that matter that really matter about moral character and not just to pick a fight, you know, or now there are some things, everybody's house has them. You have family rules. And if those are your family rules, then that's fine. Then you keep your family rules. But don't be so strict in something that you lose the respect or the love of your child. Don't ever let that happened. And I remember one time I had an incident with one of my boys, and he told me he was a certain age and that the rules didn't apply to him anymore. Well, he said he was 18 and yes. rules didn't apply. Yeah. And I said, well, let's get something straight. As long as you live in our house, these are the rules, and you will follow them, or you're going to have to find somewhere else to live, and it'll break my heart, and it's going to break your sister's heart for you to leave. But I will not fight with you every day about what time you come in and what the rules are, and how are you going to talk to me? And there are just certain things that aren't going to change. They hadn't changed all these years. They're not going to change now. And I said, but before you walk out of here mad or angry or hurt or say, I'm going to show my mom, I'll prove to her, I said, go upstairs, spend some time in prayer, and you pray about it. And then you come down and tell me what your decision is. But when you leave here, you leave here with nothing. No car, no money, no nothing. Now, there are lots of parents. My own husband doesn't agree with that, but he wasn't home to deal with it, so I was dealing with it. And he came down seven hours later, and he hugged my neck and said, Mom, I'm sorry. 
Now, I was worried that he'd walk out that door, and it would have broken my heart for him to walk out that door. But I literally wasn't going to give him the chance to disrespect me day after day after day after day and spit the rules back in my face. He didn't have that option. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Be careful what battles you pick, but when you do pick a battle— Make sure it's over moral issues, Mm -hmm. things that matter, like the truth about character, about honesty and respecting the Lord and about those kind of things. Don't just pick a fight to pick a fight to win the fight. But rules are rules. They don't disrespect your husband. They don't disrespect one another. They don't disrespect other adults. They don't disrespect their teachers. They don't disrespect. They don't get that chance. They don't Mm -hmm. get to lie, cheat, or steal. Well, I think one of the greatest things that we knew growing up and I've learned in my raising my kids, yes meant yes and no meant no. If I said no, I wasn't going to say no three or four times. My first no was no. And so I think that I see that as a big struggle with a Mm -hmm. lot of parents and a lot of children is that yes is not yes and no is not no. Yeah. And part of that is fatigue. And I'm very aware that a lot of people just give in because their child's more stubborn than you are. And so, like, I didn't buy candy at the grocery store. I couldn't afford candy at the grocery store at the time. I didn't buy soft drinks at the grocery store. Couldn't afford soft drinks. Well, you sure buy my kids candy well, at I the know, grocery store. but I'm the granny. I get to do it now. But So those were things I didn't have to fight with every time I went to the grocery store because they knew the answer mm-hmm. to that, and I didn't have to fight that fight all the time. Yeah. And so if you start off being consistent, then you save yourself a lot of trouble. But kids are stubborn, even at a little young age. And if they, if you lose that fight when they're, or that battle, whatever you want to call it, when they're a year old and a two years old, what's it going to be like when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, or 18? And that's why it's important as a parent to be consistent on those things that are important early mm-hmm. and learn to laugh at when they mess up. Teach them to laugh at themselves. And a lot of kids don't know how to do that today. And a lot of parents don't know how to juggle being a fun parent but having obedient children. And, it, and it's not easy. It's very hard, especially in the world today. I think it's getting harder. And um, I didn't have to compete with computers so much back then. And uh, I remember the first video you get, got was Pac-Man. I think it was Pac-Man. Me? No. No, the kid, the boys oh, got Pac-Man. Yeah. I think it was I Pac-Man. I can remember my first one. And I wouldn't buy the. I wouldn't buy whatever that thing everybody had. I don't remember what it was. I wouldn't let Mama give it to them either. And so finally they got a little thing called, I forgot what that thing was called, but they loved playing on it. But they only got it after, and you didn't get TV all the time either. Well, we only had three channels back well, that's then. That's true. <laughs> and you got to watch um, Andy Griffith Andy show. Griffith show. <laughs> well, I look back, and like I said, you know, before we started and we were praying, I'm very thankful for a mom who was home. I think a lot of people have asked, you know, why is your mom not travel with your dad more? Or they've asked questions of why, why you never written a book or why you don't do this. And your ministry was at home and you raised a family. I never had a desire to write a book. My mother-in-law was gifted at writing and she loved to write. She kept journals. She kept trying to get me to journal. I can't stand it. Don't like it. Don't, don't enjoy it. Doesn't bring me joy, comfort or anything. But for those that don't, it's great. But it wasn't for me. I liked being in the barn with the horses, and I'm not a good housekeeper. I'll be the first to admit, I'm not gifted in the home. I'm great at shoveling horse manure. 
well, and doing dogs are. and stuff and going to sports. I'm great at those things, but I'm not the world's best cook. I'm not the she's world's She's a good cook. No. She just didn't cook very much growing up. She's too busy. I don't I don't like to cook. But but I enjoy cooking when the family comes home. So I like cooking things they like to eat. But just because I don't enjoy something doesn't mean I didn't do it. You, you you still have to do things you don't enjoy doing. So Well, and I think, too, your ministry was at the office with the spouses or with employees. Um, she's always in our Samaritan's Purse lunchroom loving and praying and laughing with people and— Mom breaks every barrier down. When you when you meet the Grams, everybody has these preconceived ideas, and Mom has a way of just breaking those walls and letting people see that we're just a normal, well, normal that, family. That's because I'm kind of chunky and not very pretty. Yeah, Mom. <laughs> no, she is just normal and makes everybody feel right at home and feel so comfortable. And Mom, I'm just so thankful for your godly legacy to me and my children. And if there's one last thing that you would like to share with those who are listening that maybe, you know, we're facing difficult times in mm-hmm. life right now. I think a lot of moms are nervous or scared of raising their children in a time like this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something you say. Well, first of all, you're not perfect. Nobody needs to be perfect. That was a great relief to me. <laughs> and the other thing is, is that God meets all your needs. And He's more than sufficient. And He meets those needs in ways that you can't even imagine. And I look back when I was telling you earlier that I was lonely in Boone when I first moved there. That was so good for me. I'm not sorry for that time, but I'm so thankful for the friends that He gave me after that. And He gave me such sweet friends and such good friends. And one of the reasons I started substituting was to make new friends because I was lonely. So I thought, well, I'll just go make new friends. And so I started baking cakes and stuff and going up in the mountain hollers and meeting my neighbors and stuff. And they were so sweet to me and so good to me. And so what I tell you is, is that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have the perfect home. You don't have to make your bed every day. You don't have to do everything. The main thing you need to do is to love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul. And to honor Him each day and to know that He will meet your needs. And you're to fear not. And, and to be fearless, and that nothing can touch you that God hasn't allowed. Doesn't mean life's easy. Doesn't mean things happen. I know you're going through some things right now that aren't fun, and you don't look forward to, and, and you got to go home and face some things you don't want to. But I tell you to look at it as an adventure and go, don't want to do this, but I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to enjoy doing it, and I'm going to make the best of it, and, and we'll figure it out from there. And life is not easy, and it's not easy especially when you're in the ministry, because I know Satan comes after those in the ministry. So as you face that and people listen to this, they go, oh, the Grams have it all. We, we've been very blessed. But at the same time, everybody has hurts in their family, and everybody has things that are tough and bridges they have to cross or things with their children or, or heartache with different things. And, but God says, I am with you always. And I'll see you through everything. And I've learned to trust that, even if I don't like it. If I had never walked through those valleys and those terrible moments of, um, of heartache, I wouldn't have learned to trust Him like I do. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier to trust Him when you've walked through those things. And I think that's why He lets us. Then we hear the mountaintops, and we see it, and we all go through those. Nobody, nobody escapes this earth without going through those. And so, and it's how we deal with them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't shed a tear here and there. It doesn't mean we have to like it, but it's learning to be content with where we are and with what we got. 
And so I'm very thankful. I'm thankful for healthy children, healthy grandchildren, and um, I, I know I'm blessed. And I thank you for being one of those sweet, sweet blessings. And in fact, when I heard I was going to have a baby, and I thought, what in the world? I can't take care of one when I got pregnant with second. Every time I got pregnant, I go, well, I can't take care of three. How am I going to take care of four? And what a sweet blessing you've been all these years. So thank you. I love you, Mom, and I'm thankful that we got you here on Fearless, and I didn't get to half my questions because there's so many topics we'd like to discuss, like we've talked about marriage today, but um, more parenting, which only means we'll have you back here on Fearless for maybe a series of topics. Well, we'll have to see about that. (laughs) Anyways, thank you, Mom. Love you. Thank you. Love you. I'm so glad you joined my mom and I on today's special episode of Fearless. I hope that maybe you've laughed, maybe you even cried. My mom is a real person, and everybody that's written a comment about this episode loved how real she was, and I am so thankful that she is my mom. So thank you for joining me on another episode of Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith and a compromising culture. 